This is the Yonkazine Brief with Peter Hoffman and Sonia Portillo. In this edition of the Yonkazine Brief, we talk with Dr. Kenneth Vega, Chief of Gastroenterology and Co-Director of the Digestive Health Center at Augusta University Health, a public research university and academic medical center located in Augusta, Georgia. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Yonkazine Brief. This year, we've discussed colorectal cancer in a number of episodes of the show. We've talked with a number of medical experts, gastroenterologists, and other people who see patients with the disease on a daily basis, as well as people involved in the development of novel diagnostics and treatment options. Over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at colorectal cancer from different vantage points. We've discussed diagnosis and treatment options, and we've addressed prevention. In today's show, we again go back to discussing prevention by means of colonoscopy. But before we ask Dr. Vega to join us, let's be frank and brutally honest. What is your response if you hear the word colorectal cancer and prevention followed by the word colonoscopy? I guess most of us share the same reaction when we learn that we have to undergo a colonoscopy. We're not happy. Some of us may be scared or worried about discomfort or even pain, but that should not be the case. Dr. Vega readily admits that preparing for a colonoscopy can be complicated for some, but he also says that there are strategies that he shares with all his patients that can make it a much better experience. And that is important, because a colonoscopy is one of the best ways in detecting colorectal cancer. It can help prevent the disease, saving lives. According to the American Cancer Society, colorectal cancer is the third most common cancer diagnosed in the United States for both men and women. And according to the American Society for Gastrointestinal Endoscopy, colorectal cancer is the second leading cause of cancer-related death in both men and women in the United States. Each year, more than 150,000 people hear that they have been diagnosed with colorectal cancer. These new cases require an estimated $14 billion spent on treatment each year. But most cases of colorectal cancer can be prevented with proper screening, early detection, and removal of precancerous polyps. Colonoscopy is considered the gold standard of colorectal cancer screening. The simple reason is that a colonoscopy allows a doctor to view the entire colon and to both detect and remove polyps during the same procedure. Dr. Vega explains that when he looks inside the patient's colon, he's looking for these polyps. These are, Dr. Vega says, bumps, some large, some small, inside the colon. And he emphasizes that if these polyps are not removed, they can transition into colorectal cancer. So that is why it is so important to have a colonoscopy. In the United States, national guidelines recommend Caucasians to receive their first colonoscopy at age 50. For African Americans, the recommended screening age starts at 45. The test should be repeated every 10 years if there is no family history of colon cancer. However, Dr. Vega says, if you have a family history of either colon cancer or colorectal cancer or polyps, then the test should occur every five years. According to the American Cancer Society, colonoscopies are one reason the number of men and women dying from colorectal cancer has decreased for the last several decades. But what if you have colorectal cancer? Is a colonoscopy still important? Well, Dr. Vega explains that for patients who had colorectal cancer at the time of their colonoscopy, 
The procedure allows him and other doctors to find the cancer at earlier stages, increasing a patient's chance of living a longer, healthier life. Unfortunately, recent data shows that less than 40% of people undergo colonoscopy. And more importantly, approximately two-thirds of Americans aged 50 to 75 years of age is up to date with colorectal cancer screening. That leaves one-third of Americans who are not up to date. And this represents an estimated 23 million people. Now, don't believe for a moment that Dr. Vega is only encouraging his patients to undergo colonoscopy. Before the interview, Dr. Vega told me that as a gastroenterologist, he has been performing colonoscopies for over 25 years. And that he has undergone the procedure himself twice. He explained that having that personal experience allows him to give his patients the insight into what is expected from preparing for the procedure to recovering after patients arrive at home. Dr. Vega said his first tactic for a better colonoscopy experience begins at home, the day before the procedure, with a laxative formula patients must drink to clean out their colon. According to Dr. Vega, patients should make that laxative formula as cold as possible before drinking. And he recommends patients to drink a favorite beverage to drink before and after to help with the aftertaste. He also suggests to start this part of the procedure in the afternoon of the day before the colonoscopy and to follow a strict schedule of drinking the laxative formula. Dr. Vega says that if people follow this schedule, they should be finished emptying the colon not later than midnight. And that is important. Why? Well, it allows patients to get a good night's sleep before the procedure the following morning. And he emphasized, a colonoscopy is a much easier procedure if you're rested. The Oncogene Brief is developed in collaboration with our online journal Oncogene at www.oncogene.com, where you can find additional information and the latest news about cancer, cancer diagnosis and treatment, and cancer prevention. Let's listen to our interview with Dr. Kenneth Vega. Dr. Vega, can you tell me a little bit about your background? Where are you practicing medicine and some of the key things that you're dealing with? Thank you for inviting me to talk about this today. I am actually the chief of gastroenterology at the Augusta University Medical College of Georgia. I've been chief here since April of last year, but have been in academic medicine since completing my training at Temple University in 1995. I've been very interested in, in colon cancer, of course, ever since my training, and especially when it comes to uh, populations that are either uh, incompletely served or underserved. And that's where I've spent uh, the vast majority of my career with regard to patient care and procedures. When it comes to uh, colon cancer, it's clearly one of, the, one of the main cancers that we encounter in medicine in the United States and actually has been a good success story since the onset of screening colonoscopy with regard to reduction. I've actually had the procedure myself, and, and as I mentioned, I've done the procedure since beginning my training in 1993. So I have uh, a unique perspective, I think, of uh, being on both sides of the table, one laying down as the patient and then the other one performing the procedure. It's, a, it's an interesting procedure and actually is one of the few that allows us to 
uh, eliminate something that could be potentially life-threatening at the time of the procedure. Now, when when you look at uh, the procedure, I mean, there are um, there there's a general fear people might have when it comes down to colorectal cancer, when it comes down to colonoscopy. There are basically, if you talk to people, they're, 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 I would not say that they're fear-mongering, but they say, well, well it's such a bad experience. I mean, you, people are generally fearful of, of something that could help them so much. While we might not be able to talk about all the details involved in the colonoscopy um, in this case, what are some of the things that um, – People should realize and, 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 and maybe take away a little bit of that, that fear-mongering, that, that take a little bit away of the, the fear that people may have. Well, I, I think there's multiple uh, ways to allay that, and I do that with my patients in the office before the procedure when they see me as part of an evaluation of uh, regard to timing. Oh, I think one is the preparation. People are de- definitely uh, troubled by the preparation, the laxative preparation to clean out their colon. And my strategy for that has been my goal is to try to help you. And the easier it is for me to see, the easier the procedure is for both of us, as well as easy to find things that can be removed that may not have been easily seen had the colon not been adequately cleansed. Now, that that is, of course, one, one of the most important thing that people understand the importance of that, that pre-work, the, the prep basically to goes in, that goes into a colonoscopy. But there's obviously more. People are afraid of the fact that they may be hurt or something. Well, that's true. Uh, patients are afraid of, of one, something, as they describe, uh, that should be an exit and you have an entrance of, a, of an instrument in there. They're nervous about that. I think they're also nervous about the fact regarding discomfort during the procedure, as well as the possibility of perforation. The discomfort during the procedure is generally handled fairly well by either passing gas, because I use air or or carbon uh, dioxide to inflate the colon so I can see. But that gas can easily be passed by the patient uh, during the study or removed by, by me as well. Let's take a break. After the break, we're back with Dr. Kenneth Vega. Dr. Vega is Chief of Gastroenterology and Co-Director of the Digestive Health Center at Augusta University Health, a public research university and academic medical center located in Augusta, Georgia. And in today's show, we talk about colonoscopies and the prevention of colorectal cancer. Each day, researchers make new discoveries that bring us closer to the moment when all cancer patients can become survivors. Some days they take small steps. Others, huge discoveries lead to giant leaps forward. This progress, both small steps and giant leaps, happens with the help of clinical trials. Clinical trials are a fundamental path to progress and the brightest torch researchers have to light their way towards better treatments. And if you've been diagnosed with cancer, they may be your brightest ray of hope. Clinical trials introduce new hope in addition to the current standard of care by allowing researchers to provide participants access to cutting-edge and potentially life-saving treatments. So if you're interested in exploring new treatment options while helping to light the path for other patients, clinical trials may be the best choice for you. Speak with your doctor and visit standuptocancer.org slash clinical trials to learn more about clinical trials. Together, we can stand up for all of us. 
This is the Alcazine Brief with Peter Hoffman and Sonia Portillo. And welcome back. I'm Peter Hoffman and this is the Alcazine Brief. If you're just joining us, today in the Alcazine Brief we talk with Dr. Kenneth Vega. Dr. Vega is Chief of Gastroenterology and co-director of the Digestive Health Center at Augusta University Health, a public research university and academic medical center located in Augusta, Georgia. The center is part of the University System of Georgia. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Ongesim Brief. The other issue is with regard to uh, causing a hole in the colon or tearing the colon due to maneuvering the scope through the, uh, through the colon, and that risk is fairly low. It's about one in a thousand Overall, and most of those that occur can be closed almost immediately with uh, items we can put through the scope uh, to to do that. And even more rare are the uh, tears that have to be fixed by a surgeon. That's, in general, the literature supports about once every 2,500 procedures. As I mentioned before, I've been doing this now for 25 years, and I've, I have perforated patients, only five. So I think the odds are pretty good in comparison to the uh, to the literature, but also being able to recognize when you're in trouble, both with the patient giving you feedback as long as as well as listening to what the instrument tells you prevents you from having that happen too frequently. Right, but it also goes, of course, that uh, um, if 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 you look for a treatment, if you uh, are in either 45 or 50 years of age, and 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 you look for the opportunity to be screened. I think it's important to go to a physician that has experience. I, I think that I think that's very true. And the more the more procedures you do um, well, the uh, the decreased likelihood of that occurring. I think most of us will have more of our difficulty early in our careers, and as we become experienced, that decreases over over time. The other issue is also our our uh, our instruments have changed dramatically since I first started doing the procedure in comparison to now. I think they also allow, and technique has also allowed for less of that occurring uh, for our patients. The final issue in regard to patient comfort is uh, the sedation. And we have two methods for sedation. One is called conscious sedation, where you're sort of awake, but um, I sort of describe it to my patients are the lights are on, but nobody's home effect. And then a more anesthesia type sedation, which... Um, is a bit more costly, and and to be honest, some insurances are uh, are refusing to cover that. So those are the options for sedation, and the goal is to make sure that you are nice and comfortably asleep or very very close before the procedure starts, in order to try to minimize any discomfort for the patient. There's also techniques that we do with regard to negotiating the three natural turns in the colon to try to minimize discomfort in that setting as as well. And uh, my fellows, my young, my young doctors learning how to be specialists are all taught that uh, here as well as at my previous locations. Right. So if you, if you look at the history, I mean, you said you have uh, uh, more than 25 years experience in colonoscopies. If you, if you have to look at, at the comfort for the patient, but also the experience that you may have in, in, in working with new tools, what are some of the key or the biggest differences that you've seen over this long period? Well, the, the one thing is the instrument. One, we can visualize things a lot better and see smaller things easier. And then the ability for the scope to be more flexible or more stiff, depending on the individual patient, to negotiate the difficult areas in the colon 
have allowed us to complete more procedures currently than we could early in my in my experience in gastroenterology. There's no question that the instruments have changed and enabled us to do better for our patients and not have to repeat as many exams as long as the patient is prepped uh, adequately. Now, and our audience um, may have heard about this. I mean, people talk about polyps. Uh, they can be removed if they're precancerous um, to avoid the actual development of colorectal cancer. That is correct. But what are they? I mean, it's it's always nice to, I mean, people talk about things, but what what is the explanation of a polyp? What what does it represent? Well, uh, our body reproduces itself every day. And our body has a defense mechanism that's built in that when our when our body makes a mistake in reproducing ourselves, when we're young, we can eliminate that mistake fairly easily. However, as we age, that that defense mechanism does not work as efficiently as when we're young. And when I say young, I'm talking about primarily under the age of 40 for, for a person at average risk. A polyp is something that starts from a single cell with an abnormality that the body doesn't recognize, gives it a growth advantage, and then it will grow and become visible over time. And as it accumulates more changes, the body's defense system is less and less able to recognize it so that it kills it naturally. Instead, it grows and further potential for changes lead to leading to either a precancerous state or eventually cancer would, would happen. Depending on how big the polyp is, will tell you what the likelihood is of it just being a precancerous one or one that is well on the way to becoming cancer or even cancer. So our goal with colonoscopy is to find things that are precancerous before they've started to develop other changes that would put them clearly on the path uh, to uh, cancer. Now, uh, the understanding is if you look at the guidelines, the, the guidelines that uh, are prepared by the U.S. Preventative Task Force, um, yeah. uh, one regulatory organization that looks at um, when people should be screened or when people are best suited to be screened. Um, also, that's a guideline for Medicare. It's a guideline for insurance here in the United States. What if you if you if you look at their guidelines? There is a clear distinction between people right now um, when it looks at people on, without a risk or the average risk about fifty years of age. Um, in in previous interviews and what you hear this month often is that a lot of doctors are actually suggesting, okay, well maybe you should be tested earlier. One of the things that um, in a pre-meeting with the American Association of uh, Cancer Research, which will be held in uh, later this month in Atlanta, there's a little bit of interesting news about the fact that um, in older people, people older than 50 years of age, the number of, of, of colorectal cancer patients are declining. And yet in people that are younger than 50, um, it's actually increasing. And, and some people would use the term alarmingly uh, uh, increasing. Uh, and so the, 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 the suggestion is being made to reduce that age. And some people are, or some organizations are already doing that. Others are not doing that. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. No problem. I'm happy to do so. There's been a recent, I think, um, I won't say recent, but last year, the American Cancer Society noted a trend towards a younger onset of colon cancer and recommended a, a starting of screening at age 45. 
the previous GI societies as well as the U.S. Uh, Preventative Task Force, which you mentioned earlier, had recommended primarily 50 for an average risk person, with the caveat with um, African-Americans coming in at age 45 because there may be some risk with regard to a genetic risk that is unrecognized um, in that in that subgroup, genetic or dietary risk. I think there's still, it's, it's unsettled with regard to starting screening at age 45 or 50. At this point, I think there's some positives on both. Uh, getting this procedure done early and finding stuff sooner, of course, is better. But you also have to balance that out with the risk of perforation and the unintended consequences there. So I think there's a balance there, and I think data will soon be coming forward, I think, to answer that question. The the issue is many patients that are young will come in with complaints that are not uh, fully considered. For example, if you happen to see a young person who is 30 or 35, who is losing weight unexpectedly and has rectal bleeding, even though they're young, I think that person should get the colonoscopy to look for something growing in their colon, uh, especially if they consume the Western uh, diet, which we're finding is a large uh, risk factor in uh, the development of colon cancer. Primarily, when I say Western, I mean primarily the American diet. So, so diet has an in impact on on uh, the potential development of colorectal cancer. I'm glad that you mentioned that it is not only uh, people that are in those those average risk groups, but that if if patients have an indication that is is um, uh, put them at risk uh, in their diet, or if they notice something that is not really um, good, that they should go to a doctor. They should see you or you one of your coworkers. Yes, yes, I, I agree with that. Let's take a short break here, and then we continue with our interview with Dr. Kenneth Vega. Dr. Vega is Chief of Gastroenterology and Co-Director of the Digestive Health Center at Augusta University Health, a public research university and academic medical center located in Augusta, Georgia. Some of the best sounds you'll ever hear are generic, safe, effective, even money-saving, just like FDA-approved generic drugs. Even if they don't come in the exact same color or shape as their brand name equivalents, they have the same key ingredients and go through a rigorous review process. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist today and visit fda.gov slash generic drugs. Generics are safe, effective, and can save you money. You'll like the sound of that. Are you thinking about buying medicine online? A search for online pharmacies yields more than 20 million results. But which ones can you trust? Medicines bought from unlicensed online pharmacies can be dangerous. You may get a fake drug, your condition may get worse, or you may experience a bad reaction. Don't put your health at risk. To learn how to find an online pharmacy that's safe and legal, visit fda.gov slash besaferx. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. This is the Oncazine Brief with Peter Hofflin and Sonia Portillo. Welcome back. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Oncazine Brief. If you're just joining us, today in the Oncazine Brief, we talk with Dr. Kenneth Vega. 
Dr. Vega is Chief of Gastroenterology and Co-Director of the Digestive Health Center at Augusta University Health, a public research university and academic medical center located in Augusta, Georgia. In today's show, we talk about colonoscopies and prevention of colorectal cancer. The, the other thing is, is when, it lo- when, you, when you look at risk factors, say that, for example, a family member has colorectal cancer, that's considered an increased risk. What would you say is important for people with a family history to remember? Um, are 45 or 50 still the right times, or should people consider a colonoscopy earlier on? Well, I think those are, those are great questions. And it's not just a person with a family history of colon cancer, but also with a family history of polyps that is at risk. And so uh, both, of those issue, both of those situations put you in the increased risk category. Let's, let's, let's uh, do an example. So if, if someone in your family developed cancer at, let's say, 48, at that point, you should have it done 10 years before the age at the person who was diagnosed with cancer had their cancer diagnosis. So that means if a person was diagnosed in your family at 48, you should get your screening, initial screening, at 38. That's, that's remarkable. And, and I think that most people don't really realize that. That's right. And then for polyps, I think somewhere in that 38 to 43-year-old range would be appropriate too, because again, you would be a high-risk individual. Right. So that's that's definitely. Um, a, a, so if if you have a family history, look at the time when somebody's being diagnosed, and basically take ten years of that age that the person was diagnosed, and and that's correct. Get get a screening yourself. That's basically the 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 the, the good thing to to remember. And the one thing about about um, individuals, it's very important for individuals to know their family history with regard to colon cancer or other other cancers that run in the family. Knowing the age and when the when your family member developed colon or other cancers is very important in getting the appropriate screening done at the right time to get the best benefit. Now, there are of colonoscopy is considered the gold standard in screening. But people may be so afraid or so fearful of, of, of a colonoscopy that they say, well, I don't want that. Um, and there are alternatives. Um, there are other screening met- methodologies that may help. Um, they may not be the first choice. They may not necessarily be something that you would recommend to your patient um, in first stage, but they do exist. Tell me a little bit more about those. Well, there are there are three tests, but I think really two are the ones that are being used primarily. The first test is the fecal occult blood testing, which is where a sample of stool is placed on a card and looked for blood that you may not see. That's, that's an old test and it's really not used very much anymore. The other two tests are either FIT testing, which is fecal immunochemical testing, or Cologuard. In some ways, they're both looking for the same thing, which is evidence suggesting that there may be changes, genetic changes going on in your colon that suggest something could be going on, either a development of a polyp or, God forbid, a cancer. The interesting thing about those, both, both of those tests is that they will test for that, but eventually you will need a colonoscopy if they're positive. Another issue with regard to FIT versus Cooligard is cost. And at least at our institution, the cost is, I believe, eight to 10 times greater for Cooligard than for FIT testing. 
Each one would have to be done yearly. And then if positive, that would lead you to having a colonoscopy to search for something that may, may be there. Now, that is also a good understanding for people to realize uh, or for people to understand that the difference between those tests that you just referred to um, as well as or and in comparison to a colonoscopy is that a colonoscopy is done once every 10 years. That's right. It's done once every 10 years if it's negative or if you're a high risk person, then it's done uh, once every five. Right. Um, if you look at the other tests, they're done more frequently. That's correct. Uh, when when you now switch over to one of the big issues in some areas is of course talking about the cost of cancer, cost of diagnostics, and that kind of stuff. So when you when you look at the cost difference between, for example, a colonoscopy and 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 the other tests that may be available, colon guard is one of them, being done more frequently. Um, uh, they're, they're covered by Medicare. They're covered by, by insurance because they are a standard part of what what needs to be covered. But there's a difference. Yes, there is. I think depending on on the insurance plan, and there are so many that I I don't I don't want to uh, uh, go into gory details about each one. But for the most part, we've had some difficulty with getting Cologuard covered by by insurances, while Fit seems to be more acceptable to insurances for colon cancer screening in an individual that does not want to have colonoscopy. So that's something that people should consider. Um, and, and the fact that it's more frequent um, and, and, and there are some positive and negatives about that, I would say. I think that's fair. When you, when you, when you now look at the frequency in which uh, those tests are being done, Fit test, Cologuard, those are done again. They're more frequently. So you, you, in order to save yourself, in order to make sure that you have that people understand, the doctors understand what's going on with you, you need to come back more often. Correct. Now, one of the things, of course, that comes to mind, if people are afraid, if people are worried about about the different tests being tested. Whether that is a colonoscopy, a cologuard, um, whether it is a fit test or anything else, is good, and it's better be tested than not being tested. I wholeheartedly agree. I think that's absolutely correct. Any test is better than none. Any test is better than none. If you if you're willing to undergo a colonoscopy, I think that's the best. But if you want to uh, not do that and and undergo either fit or cologuard, depending on what your insurance will pay for. I'm I'm happy with that. I'd rather have you get something because at least that starts the conversation. Uh, one can establish a relationship with the patient, uh, revisit the issues that they may have, um, address the risk now that if a test is positive versus not. Um, also remind them that if their family history changes in the interval, they're to let me know about that because that happens. For example, you may have a sibling who gets their colonoscopy, has polyps, and now that puts you in a higher risk. So always keeping the door open for communication after any type of testing, I think, is uh, is appropriate for us to do. So when you look at, at, at this, right, I mean, the fact that uh, a patient may be, again, a little bit fearful. Um, yeah. you, you explain about uh, the tests, but still there are we fearful after that. Uh, what are some of the good things that people may realize or understand um, about the, the, the treatment options or about the screening options versus the risk of getting a, a, colon, uh, a colorectal cancer? Well, the risk, of, the risk of screening, of course, we talk about 
earlier, the risk of perforation, which is the main main complication. The other complication is if you remove something, there is a risk of bleeding afterwards, but that's, I believe, lower than, uh, than uh, or, or about the same as the risk of perforation. But then again, if you look at the number of colon cancer cases in the country, colorectal cancer, that's around 150,000 cases per year and leading to about 50,000 deaths uh, in the nation this year. Right. So if it's something that can be prevented, uh, I think um, anything one can do to prevent uh, seeing the almighty any, any sooner than you have to is a good thing. I also try to... Uh, to use a little bit of humor when I'm talking to patients, many patients are worried about their their procedure being videotaped or things like that, or being uh, available to the public for some reason. And my uh, my standard line for that is, you know, the endoscopy lab is sort of like Vegas. What happens here stays here, and it just helps people relax a little bit about the procedure when your physician can uh, can inject some humor instead of uh, being uh, uh, more uh, stiff or rigid. Uh, when it comes to the interaction. I mean, listen, nobody wants to have it done if they can help it, but it, it, it's something that should be done and is clearly beneficial. Let's take a short break. After the break, we're back with our interview with Dr. Kenneth Vega. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is The Ongezien Brief. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Did you know that generic drugs are just as safe and effective as brand name drugs? Generics might look different, but they work the same way. And they can even save you money. Don't believe me? Ask your doctor or pharmacist. Or visit FDA.gov slash generic drugs. This is the Alcazine Brief with Peter Hoffman and Sonia Portillo. And welcome back. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Ongezien Brief. Our interview today with Dr. Vega was recorded on March 11, 2019. Now, a good thing to people to understand, I think, uh, and, and is the fact that in, in most cases, colorectal cancer can be prevented if you know in time. Is, is that a fair statement? I think that is a, that is a fair statement. And uh, I'll give you a, a personal example. In 2002... I took care of a uh, an individual, a male, in Florida at one of my previous academic locations who refused to get colonoscopy until his primary physician got it, got his colonoscopy because they were about the same age. That individual came to see his primary physician, 
and said, okay, it's your turn. I've had mine. So he was sent to see me in the office. I saw him. We had a conversation, got him scheduled. Now that, that, that gentleman was 56 years old when I did his procedure. He had 30 polyps in his colon. Four of those were precancerous and so advanced that they were, the uh, analogy I use was, it's 11.59 and 55 seconds. Wow. Now, I got all of those polyps out eventually and had him have surgery to protect his colon, protect his life, because I thought he had a significant risk of it recurring. He goes to the bathroom normally, goes a little bit more often than normal, than before, but um, he's a friend of mine on Facebook, and we exchange birthday greetings every year. Now it's 17 years later. Uh, I think that is uh, that's good news, is that I think um, in, in the importance of, of what you can do um, in, in, on your side as a physician to, to help people avoid uh, the risk of cancer um, and how far that actually ex- extends in that respect. Now, that's exactly right. And I mean, it, for the worst thing for me is for seeing someone who has, who I find that comes for their first procedure, unfortunately, too late for me to be able to do what I need to do and having them have to go to surgery or in the evaluation for surgery where they find out they have advanced disease that if we had done the procedure earlier could have been prevented. That's the, that's the worst day. That's the worst day for me. Taking out polyps is easy. Yeah, I, th- I think I think that's um, a good reminder for everybody again to make sure that uh, you do get screened. Um, of course, the, the, what we said earlier in the program, the gold standard is, colon, um, is a colonoscopy. If you do not like to get a colonoscopy, whatever you do, get screened. I think that's the message um, I hear this month from a lot of from your coworkers. That's probably the same message that you would like to to emphasize again um, yourself. I think. No, no question. I think any any test, any test is a good test. There are some that I, there's a colonoscopy I think is the best one because it's the way I put it is one-stop shopping. If I'm there, I'm looking, I'm taking things out as I'm doing the procedure. But if that does not work for you for whatever circumstance, there are alternatives. But some testing is clearly better than no testing. There's no question about that in my mind. Okay. I thank you very much. Why, thank you. And I appreciate the time. You're welcome. I've said it before in this program, the only real cure for cancer is finding it early. And in the case of colorectal cancer, finding cancer early is a real possibility. Finding the polyps that may ultimately develop in cancer if untouched may help prevent colorectal cancer. And the colonoscopy is still one way, one of the best ways, of finding these polyps. The procedure is also considered the gold standard for the detection of colorectal cancer. Unfortunately, There are millions of people who have already been recommended to have screening, but they just don't want to use or undergo colonoscopy because they don't think it's convenient. And while there are many reasons why someone decides not to get screened, screening is saving lives. So if you are 45 years or older, get screened. Because in the end, getting screened is the best thing you can do to help prevent colorectal cancer. For more information about colorectal cancer, how it is diagnosed and treated, visit the website of the American Cancer Society at cancer.org. 
You can also visit the website of the American Society of Clinical Oncology at ASCO.org. Here you can find doctor-approved information about colorectal cancer. For us here at the Oncogene Brief, we want to thank you, our listeners and underwriters, for your ongoing support. Your support for this program makes it possible that you can listen to the Oncogene Brief via iHeartRadio, in addition to PRX Public Radio Exchange, and in the United Kingdom and mainland Europe via UK Health Radio. You can also download our program via iTunes. In Arizona, you can listen to the Oncogene Brief via Independent Talk 1100 KFNX, one of the top 10 radio stations in Arizona, reaching almost 5 million people throughout the state. For more information about that, check out our online journal, Oncogene at Oncogene.com. You can also find Oncogene at Facebook or Twitter. If you like the Oncogene Brief and want to help us make this program possible, visit our online journal, Oncogene, and click on the link, The Oncogene Brief. Here you can find more information on how you can support this program. And your support for this program is really important. It allows us to bring you interviews with experts involved in the development of novel diagnostics and new treatments. If you're living in the United States and want to receive our newsletter, text the word CANCER to 66866, and we will make sure that you'll receive our newsletter, which includes an overview of the latest news in oncology and hematology. Thank you all. And thank you for listening. And join us again for our next episode. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Yonkers in Brief. The Oncazine Brief is produced for Sun Valley Communication by Peter Hofflin, Sonia Portillo, Evan Wint, David Kaler, and Sean Mayer, and distributed by Inpress Media Group. Support for the Oncazine Brief comes from listeners of this station and our commercial underwriters and advertisers. For more information about underwriting and sponsoring options, contact Sean Mayer in California at 949 923 1660 or visit our website at oncozine.com forward slash underwriting. The Oncozine Brief contains health and medicine related information and is provided for educational and entertainment purposes only. The content is not intended as a substitute for professional medical or health advice and does not replace your doctor's advice. Your doctor is the best person to answer questions about your personal health If you hear something in this program that doesn't agree with what your doctor has told you, ask him or her about it.